There once was a man who had two sons. The younger said to his father, Father, I want right now what's coming to me. So the father divided the property between them. It wasn't long before the younger son packed his bags and left for a distant country. There, undisciplined and dissipated, he wasted everything he had. After he had gone through all his money, there was a bad famine all through that country, and he began to feel it. He signed on with a citizen there, who assigned him to his fields to slop the pigs. He was so hungry, he would have eaten the corn cobs in the pig slop, but no one would give him any. That brought him to his senses. He said, All these farmhands working for my father sit down to three meals a day, and here I am, starving to death. I'm going back to my father. When he was still a long way off, his father saw him. His heart pounding, he ran out, embraced him, and kissed him. The son started his speech. Father, I've sinned against God. I've sinned before you. I don't deserve to be called your son ever again. But the father wasn't listening. He was calling to the servants. Quick, bring a clean set of clothes and dress him. Put the family ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Then get a prize-winning heifer and roast it. We're going to feast. My son is here, given up for dead and now alive. Given up for lost and now found. And they began to have a wonderful time. All this time, his older son was out in the field. When the day's work was done, he came in. As he approached the house, he heard the music and dancing. Calling over one of the houseboys, he asked what was going on. He told him, your brother came home. Your father has ordered a feast because he has him home safe and sound. The older brother stomped off in an angry sulk and refused to join in. His father came out and tried to talk to him, but he wouldn't listen. The son said, Look how many years I've stayed here serving you, never giving you one moment of grief. But have you ever thrown a party for me and my friends? Then this son of yours who has thrown away your money shows up and you go all out with a feast. His father said, Son, you don't understand. You're with me all the time. Everything that is mine is yours. But this is a wonderful time, and we had to celebrate. This brother of yours was dead, and he's alive. He was lost, and he's found. Good morning. So we are in the middle of a series called Prodigals, and we're looking at Jesus telling a series of parables. And if you remember from last week, parables are made up stories that Jesus would tell to illustrate a spiritual truth. And these three parables that Jesus was telling in conjunction was trying to illustrate this, what God was like, what God is like, and who God likes. And these three parables are so fascinating because last week we looked at the first two, where it's all about a shepherd who looked after, who looked for his lost sheep. He had 99 who were safe. He wasn't worried about it. He went after the lost sheep. And when he found it, he celebrated. 
And then we moved on to the next story, which was about a woman who lost a coin that was worth a day's wages. So that was a big deal. It was extremely valuable. And when she found it, the same thing, she celebrated. And when Jesus told these two stories, the audience knew exactly what he was trying to do. The fact that he was trying to expand their God box to include the types of people most wouldn't include, which were People who weren't following God's law to a T, to a perfection, who weren't doing all the right things. And the religious leaders at the time who were part of the audience were really getting rattled by this. They were kind of getting what's called a paradigm shift. This moment where everything was changing for them. This moment where they were coming to this place where Jesus was trying to change their filter and their grid. But at the same time, the other side, there was the religious leaders, but there was also tax collectors and sinners listening. And he was trying to say, you need to expand your God box too because you need to include yourself, which also rattled them. Have you ever had that moment? That moment where your outlook on life changed, where you had that paradigm shift, that aha moment, this moment where you're like, how come no one has ever told me this. You know, this moment where everything changed for you, maybe it was a new habit, a new way of looking at life, a new, a new paradigm for you, where you're like, man, I'm, I wish someone had told me this last year, last month, last week, this morning, right? Where you had this moment where you're like, I have a better view of what life could be like. Uh, let me give you an example. Maybe for some of you, it was when you had, you realized that there was something called common core for math, Okay, bad example, bad example, terrible example. Just kidding. Maybe it was a new habit, a morning routine, right? A, a diet, a new way of, of going to bed and just created a new fuel system for you to keep going and to feel better about what you're eating or how you're exercising. It could have been at work. You found a new app or you found a new way of product, productivity system like monday.com or uh, Google Drive that's helped you be so much better or even found the sprint method for project management that has changed everything for your team. For most of us, you know what I bet it was? It was a personality test, wasn't it? Temperaments, Enneagram, working genius. You're like, oh my gosh, I can live with myself again. Now I know how I act. And now you have more, patient, more patience with your spouse, with your kids, with your relationships, with your friendships. And you're like, wow, I have a renewed sense of purpose in my life. I have energy. I have passion. I have excitement because someone like me or a conference speaker or a professor, professor unlocked this new way of living. This is exactly what Jesus was trying to do. He was trying to help them say, don't you love that feeling of progress? I have a better way of living for you. I have a new way of living for you where you get to look at life in a different way. But the problem is, the people who he's speaking to did not want to deal with that. They were stuck in their words. They were like, I don't want to change. I don't want to expand my God box. I don't care who God likes or what God is like. I know what I know. But when Jesus told this final story, he started with those first two, the lost coin and the lost sheep. But when he moved to the prodigal son, which is a story we've all heard, majority of us, right? That story's transcended generations, the one you heard on the opener. It's transcended even borders. Like many international countries know that story. And we love that story. When Jesus takes those, few, those first two stories and brings in the prodigal son, he does something that they weren't expecting. He humanizes it. So I want to pick up where we left off last week. And by the way, if you weren't here last week, don't worry, you won't be lost today, pun intended. Uh, but I want to make sure you go back and listen to that because it's going to bring some clarity to what I'm talking to. And you can do that on our app, website, YouTube channel, any of those places. And so we're going to pick up where Luke, who investigated the life of Jesus, finishes what Jesus was saying. And he ends with this line after the last two stories last week. He says, in the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of 
of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And when Jesus drops that line, everyone starts leaning in going, whoa, what is he trying to convey here? And then what happens next is he's trying to create this paradigm shift for, uh, for the people back then. But maybe I want you to lean in because somebody in here might be needing to hear this where you might have a paradigm shift this morning. And here's where he humanizes what he, his point. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, father, give me my share of the estate. And so he divided his property between them. And so here Jesus is setting up the story with three characters, a father and two sons. And the younger son comes to him and says, give me my share of the estate. And at that moment, the audience would have gasped audibly. You're kidding me, right? This son just came and asked for his inheritance. Essentially, he's telling the father, I wish you were dead. Imagine your kids, if you're a parent, comes to you and says, hey, can you liquidate your 401k? Give me, all, give, me the, give me one of the cars. Give me half the house. Give me everything you want because I'm done with you. I want what you want. How would you respond? Get out of my face. Be gone, child, right? Who are you, right? You're not my child. That's essentially how people would have expected this father to respond. Be like, kick him out of the house. He doesn't deserve anything. But Jesus says he divided his property between him. He listened to the request and did it. At this moment, everyone's going, what, whoa, hold on. This is a different type of story. This is not what I was expecting. He is disgracing his father, and yet he's obliging his son. He continues. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had and set off for a distant country. And there he squandered his wealth in wild living. So the son, the younger son takes his money and runs. And he doesn't just go to the next town. He goes to a distant country. He goes as far away as possible. He's doing what we've all probably done, this rebellious teen era, right? We've all had that rebellious era. For me, I grew up in Miami, right? But when it was a chance to go to college, I went to Tallahassee. And if you know the state of Florida, bottom to the top. It was as far away from home as I can get with in-state tuition. And so I was like, okay, I'm going. That was my rebellious years. Now, some of you might be like, wait, wait, wait. You grew up in Miami, and I heard you had season tickets to the Hurricanes. Then you went to Florida State when they won the national championship. And if you know my story, after a stint in New Orleans, I ended up in Tampa at the University of South Florida. So the question I usually get is, who do you root for? Well, isn't it obvious? Anyone who plays the Gators, right? <laughs> Just kidding. Okay, Gator, if you're a Gator fan in here, uh, if you're a Gator fan in here, don't worry. I've expanded my God box to include you. I love you too. But he, he sets off for a distant country and he squanders his wealth there. And the word squandered means he spent in months what the father took a lifetime to accumulate. That's the kind of mindset he had. He was like, I'm going to do what I want to do. I don't care about you, father. I don't need a relationship with you. I want your things and I'm going to do what I want because you can't tell me what to do anymore because I'm no longer in your house. So then it continues. Jesus continues the story. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed the pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. So after he spends all his money, he realizes I've got to get a job. There's no food anywhere. There's a famine. And he ends up working with pigs. And even as much as we believe bacon is the manna from heaven, back then Jews believed that um, pigs were the most unclean animal. So essentially what Jesus was saying is, 
The younger son hit rock bottom. He was at his lowest of lows, the worst possible place in his life, even to the fact that he's looking at what the pigs are eating, and you know what pigs eat. That's nasty. He's like, I'm so hungry, I could eat that. He gets to this bottom of his barrel, this worst place he could ever be. But then something happens, and Jesus turns this story, and he goes, and he starts making everyone really lean in, and and he keeps having these moments in this story that makes people question everything of who God likes and what God is like. Continues, when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. Wow. He has this moment, this come to your senses moment. It's this aha moment for him. It's what have I been doing? Why have, have I been running? Why have I been living this way? Why am I doing this this way? It's essentially what we talked about last week and this biblical term for repentance. He repented. Now you might've heard all these things and seen street signs, repent, you know, Jesus is coming back, repent from your sins. It's a fancy term that just means come back. It just means turn around, change your direction. Essentially he, when you hear the word repentance, it means come back to your heavenly father. And that's what he's doing. He's realizing I'm sinful. I've sinned against, he comes up with this speech, right? The same speech whenever we're in trouble with our parents. He's like, I've sinned. I'm no longer worthy. But if I go back to my father, he'll receive me, maybe not as my son, but as one of his servants. He gets to this point at his lowest of lows and goes, I've got to go back. I have nowhere else to go. And hopefully he'll receive me. So Jesus continues. He says, so he got up and went to his father. Here it is. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. And at this moment, everyone's like, no, this is not, this is not normal. This is not what should be happening. This can't be right. No Jewish father would hike up his mandress and run towards his son who has disgraced him. There's no way he would have done this. But remember, the point of this story is a made up story to illustrate what God was like. And the father in this story is God. And so he's saying that the father ran towards the son, that this son, as he came back and he kissed him and he, and he was so excited that he was back. In fact, he continues, the son said, said to him, the son goes into his speech, you know, that he rehearsed, father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son, but father interrupts his speech. He's like, yeah, yeah, whatever. But the father said to his servants, quick, Bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his fingers and sandals on his feet. This is huge. The son is is saying his speech and the father interrupts him in the middle of it and says, listen, you need a robe, which signifies you're back in the family. Get a ring for his finger, which signifies authority. But this last one, put sandals on his feet. It's almost as if the father knew the speech the son was giving. Because he says, you're no servant. You're a son of mine. You're a part of my family. Only servants walk around barefoot. Get sandals and put them on his feet. He received them back into the family. And then this just keeps getting crazier. The father goes, bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. Why? For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost 
and is found. And they began to celebrate. Isn't that a great story? Don't you love that? This is why we love this story. The fact that the father received him and then what was lost was found. And most people would have expected the father back then to reject him, to say, you're no son of mine. Get out of my face. You're a disgrace. You've disgraced our family. Get away from here. You can't come back. No, all three parables ended the same way. Something was lost, something was found, and then there was a celebration. That's the father's heart. Now, when you read this story and you read the word lost, you might have a little bit of tension with it, right? Because this third story explains exactly who is lost. Where the first two stories explained, uh, to explain your God box, who God likes and what God is like. But this story takes a different turn and explains who is lost. And a lot of times we hear that term and we think it's someone who's less than, right? You might've heard, oh, you've been lost. You need to repent. If you grew up with church hurt, that, you, you might've taken offense to that. It's not that bad. It actually, here's all lost means. It just means being relationally disconnected. That's it. Being lost means you are relationally disconnected from your heavenly father. You are no longer a part of the family. At least you don't feel like that because you have separated yourself. You've said, I'm going to do what I want. I am now relationally disconnected from our heavenly father. And so maybe as you're listening to this story today, you resonate with the younger son. Maybe right now you're like, I feel disconnected from the father. Have you, have you ever been there? Have you ever hit rock bottom? This place, or maybe you're there right now where you're just like, what have I done? I am living terribly. It's all because of what I've done and I've hit rock bottom. And now because of that, you don't like who you are. You don't like your story. You don't like the story you're telling. You don't like who you've become. You don't like where you've arrived. It feels like you're in the pig pen right now or you've been there in the past. And this isn't the story you hoped you'd tell. It's not where you wanted to be. And you've been running away from God instead of running to God. And because of that, you feel like he's angry at you. You're like, yeah, he's angry at me. I've been sinning. I've been, I've messed up. And just side note, sin is just running away from God. That's all it is. It's you choosing to live your way versus God's way. That's all you've decided. But here's what I want to tell you. As we see what Jesus is trying to illustrate and demonstrate that the father's heart is he loves you. His arms are wide open. Just come back to him, run to him. There you'll find mercy. You'll find grace. You'll find forgiveness. You'll find respect. He will love you and receive you regardless. You don't have to clean up. And here's the thing. When you run back to God, it says the angels in heaven, all of heaven celebrates. It says your father in heaven celebrates. And you know what else will happen? The people who love you most, the people who are close to you will also celebrate. And that's what happened in the story with everyone celebrated when the lost son came back. Well, not everyone. How many sons were there in this story? Two. And many times we end the story there because we like how it feels. We're like, this is great. But here's the thing. Jesus wasn't done. In fact, he didn't even skip a beat. He continued after, during the celebration to explain what happened to the older brother. And we're going to pick it up there. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. And when he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him, what was going on? So the estate was massive. And many times the, the sons who helped the father take care of the estate would be in the fields all day, far away. And at the end of the day, they would come home for, for dinner when the son was going down. And as he's coming home, he's like, what, why is there so many people at my house? Why is there so much joy and happiness? Why is there singing and dancing. And so the servant responds to his question. He says, your brother has come, he replied, 
And your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. And we're like, yay. And he's like, no. I can just imagine the anger of the, the, the older brother. I've been out in the field and no one came and got me. Wait, did you just say he killed the fattened calf? That was mine. That was for me because you see, the fattened calf was reserved for major celebrations because there was no refrigeration back then. So when you killed the fattened calf, you invited the whole town. Everyone was a part of it. And so all the older brother saw was his inheritance dwindling now that the younger brother was back. He's like, what is this teaching him? That you can go do what you want and then come back and get more? In fact, get more from me? Oh, can you just imagine how he felt? Well, Jesus tells us how he felt. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. Do you blame him? I don't. I probably would have reacted the same way. Are you kidding me? Who does he think is? Have you checked his heart, right? Has he truly repented and come back? In fact, where's all the stuff? Where's all the money? No, he squandered it all. He's got nothing. He is a disgrace to our family. He is a disgrace. Remove him. And so when this happened, after the older brother became angry and refused to go in, the father went out and pleaded with him. I love this. The father ran to the younger son when he came back and he goes to the older son and pleads with him, please come back. (laughs) The older son would have nothing of it. He answered his father, look, all these years I have been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this, listen to this language, son of yours, not brother of mine, he's not receiving back to the family. He's no longer a part of the family to him. When this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. At this moment, something happens. We realize what the focus of the older brother was. He's saying, this is not fair. I've been here the whole time. I've worked hard. He doesn't even use the word work. He doesn't use the word, I've helped you. He says, I have slaved for you. Wow. He essentially, what he's saying is, I just did work for you for your things. I, I just see my inheritance. The end uh, result is going away, is diminishing more and more and more. I've followed all the rules for you and done everything for you. And this is the response I get? And you just treat this, this younger son, this your son, as giving him my stuff. Can you imagine how angry he was? But it reveals his heart also. He was using the father as a means to an end. He didn't care about the father. He didn't care about a relationship. He might've had proximity with the father, but he didn't actually care about the father. He just cared about what he was gonna get from the father. And I love how Jesus sets up the father's response. Remember, this is God in the story. He says this, my son, the father said, you are always with me. And everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate. I love that. We had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was what? Lost and is found. The father's response is nothing but joy. He never, if you notice, he never asked the younger son, where's my stuff? Where have you been? What have you been doing? He received him. The, old, the, the father only wanted the relationship. That's all he cared about. And even though the younger son tried to use all the, uh, the father's things, just cared about the father's things, the father received him for a relationship and he was trying to do the same thing for the older son. And he said, we have to celebrate. And then 
the story just ends. It just stops. It just ends at that moment. And you're like, wait, 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 Jesus, what happens? What happens with the older brother? What, how does he respond? And Jesus purposefully leaves it there in order to, to, for the listeners, remember the tax collectors and the sinners and the religious leaders to insert themselves into the story to see how the older brother would respond. And I can just imagine as he read this last line, he looks at the religious leaders and mouths, this is you. And they would have gotten furious because what Jesus was telling them is you're missing the party. You're missing what God is like and who God like God likes. You are missing the point because see the religious leaders, their whole goal was to keep the rules, right? They were just saying, I've done everything right. And because I've done everything right and kept it to a T, God loves me. He doesn't love you. He doesn't love you if you mess up one rule. And they even created more rules so that they wouldn't mess up God's true rules. And they created these fences, these fences around them to make sure that they would be the only ones who could receive God. But yet at the same time, They don't have a relationship with the father. They're just using him as a means to an end. They're just saying they feel good and they're so focused on their goodness. And at that moment, there was a paradigm shift that happened. And the paradigm shift is not just that the younger son was lost, but so was the older son. The fact that there's actually two ways to be lost is huge. And for many of us today, we might feel like we're like the older brother. We might look at the older brother because in his anger, and revealed his heart, what happened? That he was so focused on his self-righteousness, his moral superiority, and he was so judgmental. He was just as lost as the younger son in his own self-righteousness. And that's why Jesus was speaking to the religious leaders, saying, that's you. You are so focused on doing the right things in order to have a relationship with your heavenly father that you don't have a relationship. You're just using the father to get what you want, to make yourself feel morally superior, to feel good about yourself, to have self-righteousness. But he wasn't just speaking to the people back then. He's also speaking to us. What Jesus is trying to point out to us, some of us who are followers of Jesus in the room, is we don't want to admit this, but we might be more like the Pharisees than we'd like to admit, aren't we? Where we would say, God, I do all the right things. I read my Bible, I go to church, I pray over meals, I do good in the community. And then we say, we do all those things, but why do we do all those things? Well, the next response might be, but I haven't gotten blank. What would you put in that blank? I haven't gotten the wealth, the status, the career, the family, the way out, the contentment I want, the joy you, I want. You haven't given me happiness. And then we use God Not for who he is, but we use him as a means to an end to get the life we want, to get the miracle we want, to get the status we want, to get the promotion we want. And we just use it and we use our goodness in that way. And then when we don't get what we want, we get angry, don't we? And then we look at other people and we start comparing. We're like, hey, they're not as good as me. They don't go to church every week. They don't read their Bible all the time. They don't pray. Man, they don't even live well. And yet they're getting the things that I want. How is that fair? I deserve it. Isn't it funny that we always want justice for others' sins and mercy for ours? Isn't that funny? But that's what Jesus is trying to help us understand in this story is that we are more like the Pharisees than we would like to admit. And here's the thing. If you're using God as a means to an end, if you have a condition on your obedience, you've missed the whole point of being a Jesus follower. You're just using God to get what you 
want. And you have what's called an I do so I get relationship with God. And does this work with other relationships in our life? Like in a marriage relationship, does that equal contentment? Oh, definitely not if you're married. In a parenting relationship, does that work? How about in a friendship, with your friendships? Does I do so I get work? I do things just so I can get things. Is that equal contentment? No, it's exhausting, isn't it? It feels like a, a, a work, an employee to boss relationship. I'm going to do these things, boss, so you can give me the career, the promotion, the, 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 the um, vacation time I want, the status, the recognition. That's how we treat, for many of us, I do so I get. That's how we treat our relationship with God. And we've seen that doesn't work with other areas of our life. That's exhausting. And this is probably why you never feel close to God. Because you're constantly striving, earning for his love when he says, I accept you. With me, you find mercy and grace. You don't have to do anything to earn it. But yes, many of us rest on our morals, our morality, our goodness. Author and pastor Tim Keller uh, wrote this book called Prodigal God. And a lot of the content I'm using comes from that book. Highly recommended. But he's got this quote that was a paradigm shift for me. And he said this. It's not your moral failures as much as your moral successes that keep you from God. It's not your badness that keeps you from God. It's actually your goodness. The desire to do what's right and feeling like that's what brings you in proximity with God is keeping you actually from having a relationship with God. You're just as lost, right? Think about it. We're about to have Thanksgiving. You can be around family, but you might not have a relationship with them. There's proximity, right? But you might not have a relationship. The same thing with friendships, even for some of you who are struggling in your marriage. That could be the same way. There's proximity, but there's not a relationship. And so with God, it could be the same thing. You might be focusing on trying to feel like you're close to God by your morality. And the thing that kept the older brother from the father was not his sin. It was his goodness. It was his righteousness. The desire to do all the right things. You know what that sounds like? Sounds like religion, doesn't it? That I do so I get that whole desire to be close to God. This is what I love about Jesus, that he was so different. Every other religion in the world talks about, I need to do these things to get nirvana, to get the the life I want, to get where I want to be so that God will give me the life I want. That's not what Jesus came to do. He didn't come to give you a religion. He came to give you a relationship. You were lost and he brought you to your heavenly father. He made a way. That's the gospel in essence. That's what Jesus came to do to to make you no longer relationally disconnected, but to run to the father and to have nothing but grace, mercy, acceptance, peace, and joy because of him. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says it this way. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of yourselves. It is a gift from God, not by works so that no one can boast. You didn't earn it. You don't deserve it. There's nothing you can do to get it, but he still loves you. You know what's even crazier? He loves you regardless of where you are, whether you're the lost son, the older, the younger son, or the older brother. You know how I know this? The apostle Paul puts it this way in Romans. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us. Why or when? While we were still sinners. While you were living in your badness, in your rebelliousness, in your unrighteousness, while you were still sinners, your heavenly father loved you. And so if you're here and you're like the older brother, you've been using God as a means to an end, 
You need to do the same thing the younger brother did. He had to come to his senses moment, this aha moment where he did what? He repented, that biblical term, where he said, I, what have I been doing my whole life? Because here's the deal. Repentance is required for a relationship, isn't it? Think about it. If someone's wronged you, does, does the relationship just get fixed the next day? No, there has to be a restitution. There has to be a restoration that you want them to come to you and say, I'm sorry, right? But you don't want them to come to you and say, I'm sorry, you know, just moping around. No, you want them to really mean it. Now, before I continue, repentance is not required for love from God. Repentance is a result of the love from God, right? God first loved us. He sent Jesus to die for us while we were still sinners. So his love should cause repentance. But then it's our responsibility like the younger son to, to have repentance so that we can be restored back to our heavenly father. And just to let you know, repentance is the same way the younger son did. It's this realization where you're like, how could I have been so blind? How did I miss this? How could I have been so ungrateful? It's this paradigm shift. It's this way of seeing everything in your world differently. It's seeing your heavenly father differently and your relationship with your heavenly father. And so we have to repent. We need to repent, not of our unrighteousness for some of us, but our self-righteousness. Because that's what your heavenly father desires. And he, he, regardless of where you find yourself in this story, Regardless of you're the younger son or the older son, the invitation is the same. Come home. Come home. Leave your rebelliousness. Leave your religiousness and come home. The father's invitation is there. His arms are open wide. He's ready for you. And he's been pursuing you. You know it. You've been feeling it. He says, come home. Because he says, would you join in relationship with me? That's all I ever wanted from the start. All I've ever wanted. And when you come home, wow. Then you'll love God for who he is. The fact that he's merciful. He's so good and he's loving. Not for what he provides for you. That's where you find contentment. That's where you find that peace that goes beyond our shame because you're not striving anymore and you're not expecting what you think is right. But instead, you just want a relationship with your heavenly father. But here's the problem. You have to leave the pig pen to come to the house. You have to leave your rebelliousness. You have to leave the hillside to come to the party. You've got to leave your self-righteousness because you can't go home if you don't leave where So the invitation this morning for everyone listening in room or online, come home, come home. Let's pray. Heavenly father, thank you for this story, how Jesus would illustrate and demonstrate who God likes and what God is like. And now we know that God loves every person. He loves the lost people. And he loves the found people. And now we know what lost really means. It means we're relationally disconnected. And so Lord, I pray for the people in this room who are currently feeling relationally disconnected from you. Whether they've been running and doing their own thing and living their own life and saying, I'm the Lord over my life. I don't want anything to do with you, God. I don't need to follow your rules or your whatever it is. I don't need a relationship with you. 
or for the ones who've been using God as a means to an end. They've been talking to you and just saying, God, I expect these things and these things haven't happened, so I'm angry. And they just love you for the things you can give them instead of loving you for how you've loved them and how you sent Jesus to die for them. Thank you so much today reminding us that you pursue us both ways. And that even though there's two ways of lostness, you love us regardless. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for sending Jesus. And it's in his mighty name we pray. Amen.